Hey, good morning. My name is John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And as you've seen from that little video, uh, we are doing our best in this series to unpack who Jesus is. We hope that he'll come into a little clearer focus with each and every week. Uh, we want to answer the question from Luke's gospel, who is Jesus anyway? If you've ever thought about that, if anybody was to ask you, well, who is Jesus? How would you answer? And today we want to give you one more answer in this series, one more installment. And that is this, we'd like you to be able to answer with clarity that Jesus is the object of our faith. There's a, inside your bulletin, you'll find an insert, it's an outline of where I'm headed today, together with a number of scriptures we mention as we go along. Most of them come from the Gospel of Luke, uh, because we've been using Luke as our standard for this whole series. Uh, Luke did a wonderful job of interviewing folks about the life and times of Jesus Christ and recording for us who Jesus was and what he taught. And so we have a treasure in Luke's gospel, to answer the question, who is Jesus anyway? And one of the things that Luke brings out very clearly, one of the characteristics about our faith, is what the nature of faith is anyway. I mean, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? And what would it look like if Jesus was the object of our faith? I want to unpack that for you this morning. So let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. I want to thank you for Luke, who recorded uh, the life and times of Jesus. So we could understand who he is and what he came to teach us and, and the miracles that he performed. Today, Lord, I pray that you'll teach us something about faith, what it means to believe and to trust in you. I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and teach us the things we need to know. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, we have ushers that will be coming up and down the aisle, uh, and they'll be passing some pens to you, so just raise your hand, and we'll be glad to do that. And after the service, if you raise your hand for an umbrella, we'll give you one. No, I won't do that. We're, we'd be running out. It is pouring out there right now, and I was afraid only ducks would show up here at 11, so I'm really glad that you're here today. And uh, we're not talking about Noah and the Ark. We're going to stay on this series and uh, keep going. But today, in point one here, you'll see this, and this is a point I want to draw from a couple of stories about Jesus' life, that Jesus wants us to have faith in his power and authority. Jesus wants us to have faith in his power and authority. We'll unpack a little bit more about what faith means a little bit, but... Uh, if you don't have faith in Jesus' power and authority as the Son of God, well, then you really run into problems when you start praying to him. I mean, what are you praying about? I mean, if he doesn't have the power to get it done or the authority to get it done, it doesn't amount to much. And uh, there are two stories I want to contrast back to back. One from Luke, as I mentioned, but another I got from Mark's gospel, and you'll see why I've put these together. They're bookends about the whole idea of having faith in Jesus' power and authority. The first, uh, this is point A on your outline, Jesus was amazed that some people who knew all about him just refused to trust him. People who knew all about him, they wouldn't trust in him at all. And there's a story in Mark's gospel about this, where uh, Jesus went to his own hometown of Nazareth. Jesus left that part of the country, this is from Mark 6, and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. This is in northern Israel, not far from the Sea of Galilee. The next Sabbath... Jesus began teaching in the synagogue. A synagogue would have been like a local church would be today, a community center as well uh, for the Jewish community there. The next Sabbath, Jesus began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? But then they scoffed at him. Ah, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place the, his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
And he was amazed at their unbelief. And if you'd underline that, he was amazed at their unbelief. And then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. He couldn't do anything there. People wouldn't believe. I mean, faith is an intricate part of having a relationship with God, having a relationship with Jesus. Without faith, it means we don't trust him or believe in him. And there were people there who didn't believe him. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They had heard his teaching and they had seen him do miracles. But they didn't, they didn't know where it came from. In fact, they were offended by it. This, these were the people who had seen him grow up. I mean, Jesus grew up in a home where Joseph and Mary had other kids after Jesus was born. He was the firstborn. The Holy Spirit had placed Jesus inside of Mary's womb. But there were other kids that came along. Four brothers and at least two sisters. We don't know the names of the sisters. And they had grown up in a household together. And then when Jesus began his ministry and began teaching, he wasn't, people weren't open to hear what he had to say in his hometown. You might have experienced this if you've gone to a high school reunion 20 years later or 30 years later for some of us. Go to a high school reunion and people go, wow, you amounted to something? There's a shock or something like that. You might say that about someone else and they might say that about you. But in Jesus' case, there was a real credibility gap for folks. They go, we know who he is. I mean, he, he's a carpenter, just like his dad Joseph was. Why does he all of a sudden claim to be able to do these miracles? How could this happen? And so even though they knew all about him, they didn't put any faith in him. And what Luke records is Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. And how would that apply to you and me? Well, when there are people all over the place. They have Bibles. They've got five, six, ten Bibles in their house. Don't read any of them. But they look pretty on the bookshelf. Or they might have been to church for a long time. But when I come to a crisis, I don't really pray. When I come to a major decision, it's not like I'm wrestling with this with God or talking to God about it. I'm around it. I know about what it, Jesus, who he is and who he claims to be, but I don't know him. I don't really have any faith going on with him. I don't really have a relationship. And it's a very strong parallel because these were people who should have known all about Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, let's get that straight. They believed that Jesus was a real person, but they didn't put any faith in him as the son of God, that's for sure. They didn't trust him. They didn't have faith in him. They viewed him as a peer. Now, I want you to remember that story when Jesus went to his hometown and contrast that with another story where one day a Roman centurion came to Jesus. Point B on your outline, just like Jesus was amazed in the first point that people who knew all about him refused to trust him, he was also amazed when people who knew very little about him trusted him completely. Now, this is a shocker. It's another uh, story here about uh, Jesus being amazed at people's faith, this time on the opposite extreme. A centurion servant, this is from Luke 7, a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Israel at this time was under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire took, whatever, took possession of whatever country they wanted to. They were the mightiest military force on earth. And when they took control of a country, as they had with Israel, they would station garrisons of soldiers there to keep peace and to keep order. A centurion was a man in charge of a hundred soldiers. That's where the title comes from. So a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Now the centurion had heard of Jesus, and he sent some the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves you have, to have you do this, because he loves our nation, has built our synagogue. This would have stood out as well, 
most of the Romans, I mean, the Israelites wanted nothing uh, to do with uh, the Roman occupation. If you can imagine our country being overrun by another nation and them stationing troops in downtown Prattville or Montgomery or other places and us actually having a relationship with some of those people, you wouldn't want to get along with them. And so it would have been a real shock to find a centurion who used his own resources to help build a synagogue. This would have been very unusual. This was a Roman soldier brought in who apparently understood who God was and wanted to do his best to help the people who lived there. So Jesus went with these elders to the man's house, to the centurion's house. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, sent his friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And if you could underline that again. He was amazed at him. He'd been amazed at the people in his hometown, at their unbelief. He's amazed at this man's faith. And turning to the crowd following him, Jesus said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who'd been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. What's important for you and me to note there is this, that faith is equal to trust is equal to belief. In fact, if you spoke ancient Greek, the language in which most of the New Testament was written, you would find the same word used interchangeably for all three of those words. To have faith in something is to trust in something, to have belief in something. We like to talk about that we have faith, but we really don't trust. We like to talk about our Christian faith, but we don't really believe. And that wouldn't fly in Jesus' day, and it shouldn't fly now. What's interesting is, is that the centurion believed. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. This is Hebrews 11.1. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. That's what faith is. It's assurance that something that hadn't happened yet is going to happen. And you believe it by faith. It's also important for us to remind ourselves here that when we talk about faith being trust and belief, that meaningful relationships are impossible without trust. I mean, if you can imagine trying to have a meaningful marriage, if you don't trust your spouse to be faithful to you when you're gone on a trip, that's not going to work. It's impossible to have a meaningful relationship with God if you don't trust him either. I mean, the centurion did. The people in Nazareth didn't. And Jesus just moved on. Remember, in Nazareth, it wasn't that Jesus... I mean, don't get hung up by the fact whenever it says that Jesus wasn't able to do miracles there as if his power had stopped working as the Son of God. It's just that he came to have a relationship with us and to establish trust. If nobody, if people have already made up their mind, it said they'd already made up their minds and scoffed at him and said, we're not going to believe him no matter what he does. Well, there's no reason to be doing miracles there. I sometimes get emails the same way. People will ask me a question about um, the Christian faith or about the Bible. And before they, and as they write their question, even before they get to the question, they go, now I want you to know something. No matter what you answer, I'm not going to agree with you. Please reply. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, what do I say? I mean, there's nothing I can say. If your mind's already made up, why are we having a discussion? And Jesus was at the same place in Nazareth, yet here he was with a guy, a Roman centurion, 
who had never been raised to know anything about God, and yet he quickly comes and says, hey, Jesus, I trust you. I've heard about your miracles. I've seen, I've heard your teaching. I know I can trust you. I got faith in you. Hebrews 11 again, it's impossible to please God without faith, and anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I mean, relationships require trust. Not only does this impact the relationship with God and a relationship with a spouse, it impacts every relationship. I mean, seriously, you're not going to go eat a hot dog prepared by a butcher you don't trust. I don't know what he put in that thing. You're not going to leave your kids with a babysitter you don't trust. You're not even going to leave your car with a mechanic you don't trust. You're not. Relationships are impossible. And so let me separate this again. A lot of times when you say, well, do you know the Lord? Well, yeah, I believe God exists. Well, I can believe a butcher exists. I know where he lives. I just don't want to buy his food. I can believe that the repair shop exists. That's not the problem. The question is, do you take your car there? And the answer is no. Well, the same thing's true with God. It's not enough to believe he exists. The devil believes God exists and he hates him. The question is, are you going to trust him or not? The centurion did. The people in Nazareth did not. An irony of ironies, it's the guy who had very little knowledge compared to the others who was willing to trust him. It's one of the great ironies involved in my job all the time. I meet people who've grown up in church. And yet when they come and they have a problem with finances or they have a relational issue or they have a problem about their future or a career. Well, have you prayed about this? Well, no. I mean, what does the Bible say? I don't know. And then I'll meet other people who may have been coming to this church just for a few months. I met with a couple just the other day. They've been coming here about four months. Five months, whatever, beginning of the year, in January. And I asked them why they came by my office. They said, we just want to come and tell you what a difference God is making in our lives. We handed out Bible reading plans, and they actually read them. And we told them to invite their friends, and they invited all their friends. We instructed them how to pray when they have a problem. And you know what they did? They prayed. And they said, it's changed our marriage, it's changed our kids, it's changed our whole home. We're like completely different people, and we just want to say, God is amazing. Right before Christmas, I met with a gentleman who came to my office. He had finished reading the New Testament last year. He'd never read it before. He goes, this is an amazing book. And I go, well, why do you say that? And he goes, because it's just full of these amazing stories. And he started mentioning some of the stories about Jesus. And he goes, have you ever read that? And I go, yeah, I've read it. I I like it. I'm with you. We're, We're good here. He goes, but this is so cool. And so here, many times, you find people who don't have very much knowledge about God at all, but they trust him completely. And some of us who've been around church our whole lives don't really trust God at all. And that's a big mistake. Because God has awesome power. He has all power and all authority. And he wants us to trust him, to have faith in him, to believe in him. Does that describe you and me? Or are we stressed and worried and fearful and consumed with doubt? And what Jesus asks us to do is to trust him because he wants a relationship with us. There's no way to have a relationship with God without trusting him because he's a rewarder of all who seek him. If you flip your outline over, there's more to this. Luke has more to tell us about faith and about belief and about trust. 
Not only does Jesus, according to what he taught, want us to trust his power and authority. The centurion did, by the way. He said, I'm somebody with authority. I tell people to go and they listen to me. So this gentleman, Jesus, he claims to be the son of God and I've seen him do miracles before. He has authority over disease. I'll trust him to heal my servant. Done. Well, not only does Jesus want us to have trust like that, he also wants us to trust and to have faith in his timing and in his ways. Not just his power and his authority that he can do things, but in the way he does things and when he does things. It's a little bit more. He told his disciples a story about this one day, Luke 18. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show how they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about his people. Can you imagine a politician like that, just wanting to get in office, not caring about God or people? Well, I'm not going there. Anyway, um, but there was a judge. Just imagine a world like that, okay? There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people, and a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Now why in a paragraph where he's talking to, telling a story about not giving him prayer, does he close it by mentioning faith? Because faith means belief, and it means trust. And the problem with repeating our requests to the Lord is not that the Lord is hard of hearing, or that he wants us to get into saying mantras, just mindlessly repeating things over and over again. That's not what he's talking about. He's also not talking about not giving up and praying that we have to have marathon prayer meetings that run until 2 in the morning every night. He knows we need our rest. Well, what's he talking about then? Well, he's talking about coming to him and trusting him. Regardless of the time frame and regardless of the means by which he accomplishes it. It means trusting that not only does he have the power and the authority to get it done, but he'll do it in the right time in the right way. And there's a note that you and I need to remind ourselves of here. God's ways and his timing are not the same as ours. If you'd circle the word not. They're not. Many times in Scripture this is expressed, probably none clearer than Isaiah 55. God is speaking. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote a letter later in his life, here's how he described God's timing also. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. We can get awfully narrow in our focus. And if we need a job, or we need a relationship fixed, or we need an illness overcome, we can set a parameter that's this small and say, God, you have to give me an answer to this request under these circumstances and in, within 72 hours. And then I'll know you answered my prayer. 
And many times we put all these constraints on God and we say, this is the way it is. And if you do this, then I'll believe in you. Well, at least until the next time something comes up, because next time I don't know if I'll trust you again. Because all too often, that's what happens. Even if God answered our prayers a year ago, well, what have you done for me lately? And we give up on him again. And so when Jesus talks about praying, he says, I want you to keep on praying, not because God is hard of hearing, not because he wants you just to repeat stuff over and over again, not because he's just trying to wear you out or play a game with you. I want you to keep on praying and I want you to keep on trusting. Because when you keep on praying, it shows, the Lord, I trust you. I don't know why you haven't answered this yet, but I trust that you'll reveal this to me. And I trust, Lord, that you have your reasons. I mean, do you and I really trust him that he loves us? That his timing might be better than ours? I mean, I wish I had a dollar for every time that people have told me. I prayed for a job and it didn't come through. But you know what the crazy thing is? I thought that would be the job I wanted. Well, this fell through. God opened a door for me to do something else. And it's been a better job. It's ten times the job the other one was. Can anybody relate to what I just shared there? Hands go up all over the place. Every hour, it's been the same thing. You don't have to go far. So many times we have this narrow expectation, say, you got, God, you've got to give me this. And he's going, well, just hang on, will you? I've got something great in store for you, and if you trust me, it'll be amazing. But just be patient. Trust my timing. Trust my ways. I can't explain all this to you right now. But I love you and I have what's best for you. Will you trust me? And now we're back to a relationship again. Not just believing that God's out there, but believing that he cares for you, has a plan for you, that he will help you. Do you believe this? And when Jesus was standing right in front of people in Nazareth, they said, no. And the Roman centurion said, yes. And the persistent widow believed that she would get justice if she just hung on. And Jesus said, well now, if even an unjust judge comes through in the end, how much sooner will the Lord come through? Will y'all trust me? When I return, will I find anybody with faith? Will I find anybody who hasn't just given up? Because we prayed about it three times, and well, it's not going to work anyway. And that's what Jesus wants us to consider. Jesus wants us to have faith in his power and authority. He wants us to have faith in his timing and his ways. And Luke tells us that Jesus wants us to have faith in his word, in his teachings. He does. I'll show you what it's like, Jesus said. This is from Luke 6. When someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it, it's like a person building a house. He digs deep, lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and the break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds his house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it'll collapse into a heap of ruins. If you don't have a solid foundation, obviously your house is going to give way. You go down to the beach, you see these high-rises going up. Well, they don't just build those things on the sand. If you go and look at how they're getting the foundation set, they drill way down to bedrock. And then even if a hurricane comes and blows out all the windows and sweeps away everything on the first three floors... The rest of the building stands firm. It can stand up against a hurricane because its foundation is on bedrock, not the sand. 
And Jesus said, well, you'll be like that if you listen to my teachings and obey them. I mean, if you trust me, if you trust that what I've written here is really true and then apply it to your life, well, then as you go through life, when you've forgiven people when I asked you to forgive, when you've obeyed me when I asked you to obey, when I asked you to step out on faith, you really did it, well, then when troubles come, you'll know how to handle it. You'll have a foundation. So when money gets tight and sickness comes and people die and all sorts of storms come into your life, all of a sudden you'll be able to handle it. And people go, how come you're not going crazy like everybody else? I don't know. I just got confidence the Lord's going to work this out. He's done it before. Every time I've trusted him with every other decision, every time I've trusted him with other relationships, every time I've prayed to him about other things and seen him work out, he always came through. So why wouldn't I trust him now? I have a solid foundation. Does that describe you and me? Or are we heavily dependent on our circumstances to how we're feeling today? If money's good, I'm good. Health is good, I'm good. But if things go bad, I'm bad. Well, if we live that way, I mean, you let a calamity come and there'll be a big crash. Now, if we're going to have faith the way Jesus is talking here, he says that faith in my teachings means putting them into practice. Don't miss that. He said, to build on that foundation, it's like coming, listening, and then following it. The night before he was crucified, Jesus told his disciples how to love each other and serve each other. And after he showed them this by washing their feet, he said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And you have to circle the do part. But I want to point out one thing about Jesus' teachings. And inside your bulletin, we have one other document. We gave you a bunch. In your, we gave you a taco this morning of literature. I'm sorry. But if you take out one piece of paper in there that you may have not have noticed yet, it's called the Acts Bible Reading Plan. In order to help you in this area, we put together from time to time, about every other month, we insert a reading plan that will run for six weeks, six or seven weeks. There's no exception here. At the beginning of June, we've got a six-week plan here. It's from the book of Acts in the New Testament. We've been looking at stories from Luke. Acts is the sequel. Luke, who is the author of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And uh, this is broken up into just uh, 30 different readings, five a week, seven days in a week. That gives you two days each week off for good behavior. Or if you get behind, you can then go and catch up. And so this is a reading plan you can really do. Well, why am I pushing this? And by the way, you know, if you have another reading plan or a devotional book, please use that. The reason I push this, though, is this. If I was walking down the street and a man came up to me that I'd never met before and he opens up this portfolio and he goes, Here's, uh, I'm an investment broker and, or stockbroker and I help people with their retirement funds. And let me just show you this portfolio I've been working on. I'd like all, you to transfer all of your funds to me and I'll help you manage your retirement account. I go, get out of here. I don't even know who you are. Why would I trust someone whom I've never met? So if I'm asking you to have faith in Jesus, how would you have faith in Jesus if you don't know him? How would you have faith in Jesus' teachings if you've never read them? And the answer to that is, I don't know. But the way that you can have faith is to follow a simple reading plan like this, follow the instructions that are written on the front, and it'll be life-changing. You'll discover just like that guy did before Christmas last year, this is awesome. 
I can know how God related to people in the past. I can read Jesus' teachings for myself. I can make up my own mind about this. I can get to know God's thoughts. And that's what he wants. He wants a relationship with you. And if you read his word, the Bible itself says God's Holy Spirit will make sure it touches our hearts where it needs to be touched. It's one of the reasons that I try to print out every reference I mention here. I want you to go home and look them up and see if it says that. See if it really says that. It's a great compliment to me if you do. I want you to read this on your own, not just take my word for it. And that way you get to know him and you'll be able to put it into practice because you'll trust him. Jesus wants us to trust his power and his authority. He wants us to trust his timing and his ways. He wants us to trust his teachings. And finally, it's important that you and I remember that the object of our faith, according to Jesus here, is more important than the amount of our faith. What you put your faith in is more important than the amount of faith that you have. Two places in Luke where this point is brought out by Jesus. One day the apostles came to Jesus. This is Luke 17 verses 5 and 6, and they said, Jesus, show us how to increase our faith. And here's what Jesus answered. This is significant here. He said, look, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. Guys, 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 it's not the amount of faith you have. You have the amount of faith the size of a mustard seed, but it's in the right thing. That's enough. I mean, the people of Nazareth had zero faith. Jesus was amazed. They had nothing. The Roman centurion only knew a little bit, but it was enough because his faith was in Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus had some parents bring their children to him so he could bless them. And the disciples were running interference, trying to run them off. Say, hey, come on, Jesus has got some important ministry going on here. Don't bring these kids to him. Don't bother him. And we jump right in in Luke 18. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Like a child. Childlike faith. Man, I learned a lesson about this when my boys were small. If I would tell one of my sons, Hey, tonight when I get home, we're going to throw the baseball. We're going to play catch. And they said, well, When are you going to be home? About 5.30. Guess when one of my sons was standing in the driveway with a baseball mitt and a ball? 525. And then if I show up at 615 because I forgot all about that promise, man, there are tears and my wife is angry. Oh, man, am I in the doghouse? She says this, and her answer was crystal clear. It's the same as Jesus here. You can't tell a child you're going to do something and not do it. Because children trust you. And Jesus said, hey, you know what kind of faith I want? You don't have to have gigantic faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed is enough. If you actually believe. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have gone to church for years and years and years. The faith of a child is enough. Because here's why it works. When Jesus would tell him to do something, a child would say, okay, Hey, if you want to please God, you need to forgive that person. Okay. Hey, I'm coming back soon. I need you to be busy about the things I told you to do. Okay. 
hey, I want you to go and serve people who don't love you and be kind to them because that's the way my heavenly father is toward you. Okay. And childlike faith believes him. You don't need a lot of faith. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need years of experience. You just need the faith of a child. The amount of faith you have is not nearly as important as the object of your faith. Who are you believing in? Now let me state that again because this is important. And I want to contrast this with something that's very politically correct these days. That what you believe in doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you're sincere. And that sounds good, but you can disprove it this simply. If I took a revolver that had six chambers in the pistol and I put one bullet in and spun the carousel and held it up to my hand, I could believe, and I would be right to believe, that I have a five out of six chance that nothing will happen when I pull the trigger. And I can sincerely believe that my hand will be fine. But if the bullet happens to be in the chamber when I pull the trigger, I will be sincerely sorry I chose that. I'll be sincerely wrong. You can be sincere and be wrong. You can have a lot of faith in the wrong person and you'll be in a lot of trouble. You have a little bit of faith in Jesus, that's enough for miracles to happen in your life. But you've got to choose the right object. I was reading an article online the other day about online scammers. And there seems to always be a new scheme to talk people into giving up their social security numbers or account numbers or important identity uh, attributes or qualities of their identity for identity theft to be enabled. And the whole article was how to avoid con men, and it had it in quotes, online. Well, you know what's interesting is, is if you look up what it means to be a con man, a con man is a confidence man. It's a contraction of the word confidence. A confidence man tells you have confidence in me, even though he's, he or she is a thief. And so somebody who's putting together a pyramid scheme says, hey, invest your money. Look at the great return I can give you. And all they're doing is shifting the money around while they're stealing it hand over fist. Because they gained your confidence, you put faith in them when you should not have. And Jesus says, I want you to know I'm somebody you can trust. He's not a con man. And if you put your faith in him, you will never be disappointed. Jesus must be the object of our faith. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way. The way where? To heaven. The way to forgiveness. The way to a rich and a meaningful life. I am the truth. The truth about what? Truth about everything. Truth about relationships, truth about God, truth about priorities. I am the life. I'm life itself. I created you. And I'll give you eternal life with me in heaven when you die. And I'd bring that out as our final point of consideration that I hope will take this from being just an abstract conversation to something that will inspire us to think about it quite a bit and maybe talk about it over lunch today. This is not some conversation to have, well, okay, that's an interesting perspective. Hmm, that's helpful. I want you to put more stock in it than that. And here's the reason why. 
One indisputable scientific fact that we must consider is this. A hundred years from now, everyone in the, that's hearing the sound of my voice will be dead. A hundred years from now, all of us will be dead. That's a fact. And barring, barring some gigantic scientific breakthroughs, that's what's going to happen. How are you dealing with that contingency? What are your plans for eternal life? Who knows the way to heaven? Jesus says, I do. I am the way. And he proved it, by the way. When he died, he came back. I've been there and I've come back. Trust me. Follow me. Name anybody else who's done that. I'm the truth. I'll tell you the truth about your sins. You follow Jesus' teachings, you'll hear truth. You won't like it all the time, but you will hear the truth. He can be trusted. And he is the life, eternal life in heaven forever, rich, abundant life today. So even if we're not considering our, the time when we die, it's important also, or equal to that, I should say, we should also consider, well, what are we going to do with the time that we have left in this world while we live? And Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you an answer to that too. But you've got to know him. You've got to spend time with him so you can trust him. And that would be my prayer for us today. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we've had an opportunity to look at Jesus' teachings and his life again on this Sunday. Lord, they trouble me. Because there are many things that Jesus teaches that are hard for me to hear. There are times I don't want to be unselfish. There's times I don't want to obey. And Father, sometimes I get very frustrated with you because I pray about things and you don't answer them in what I believe to be a timely or a fashionable manner. And so Father, sometimes if I'm honest, I just don't trust you. I feel like you're just not listening. And so God, I just pray that this morning you would speak to each one of us and you remind us of what Jesus said. I have the power and I have the authority. I want you to trust me as much as the centurion did. I will not blow you off. I will answer, but I want you to trust in my timing and in my ways. I want you to listen to my word and read it and obey it and put it into practice. You don't need a lot of faith in the wrong thing. You need a little faith in me. And God, I pray that you make this clear to us today. You see, in a moment of silence, if there's a, uh, something you need to trust God for regarding your career or relationship or your finances or your health, would you just pray about that right now and say, God, would you show me what to do? And would you give me enough faith the size of a mustard seed to trust your timing and your ways on this? Would you give me the faith of a little child so I wouldn't worry and fret and be afraid? Pray about one thing. One thing right now. Well, Father, we thank you that you hear our requests. Lord, you're always more ready to listen than we are to pray about anything. And Lord, forgive us when we are so doubtful and so fearful and afraid. Forgive us for the times in the past when you've answered our prayers and we never even said thank you. And then we were afraid the next time 
because we didn't learn. I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, draw us closer to you each and every day. I pray that you put a hunger in our hearts and our minds to read your word for ourselves and see what it says and get to know you so we can trust you more. I don't want to just believe you exist, Lord. I want to know you. I want to trust you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.